So Shalom Aleichem, we're going to discuss some uh, points. The main central theme of the Sicha of B'Shalach, number three in Chelek Tes Zion. I'm going to say at the outset, I'm focusing on the general spirit of the Sicha, not so much all of the nuances. I want to say by the same token, the Sicha, to my view, is fundamental in terms of Embuna, the way the Rebbe teaches us how to view the world. Uh, Every sicha is extraordinary. Every sicha has huge, powerful lessons. But from time to time, you come across a sicha, which is a guide for life. In the way the Rebbe teaches us to see the world, the way the Rebbe sees the world through the eyes of Teda and Hasidus, but brought to a, a much greater level in the way the Rebbe teaches it. The Rebbe pushes the envelope of Emunah and Bitachin all the way to the nth degree in this Sicha, which is clearly the Rebbe's Shitta and what the Rebbe wants us to try to internalize. But as we get ready for Mashiach, we're ready for a world that it's not that there's a that there's Hashem who runs the world, but the world is not separate from Hashem. This is something that the Rebbe spoke about in his first moment, Abbasilagani Tafshin Yudalef, quoting from Avraham Avinu, that he his job was by Yikra Vishem Hashem Kelelam, he called and he proclaimed for others to call that Hashem is not there's not Kelhoilam, but Kelelam, not the God of the world, but God world, because the world in Alakus is one. I think the Rebbe quotes it from the Ramban, from Nachmanaris. But this is clearly central to all of Judaism, much more so Chsidis, which central theme Chsidis is Hashem Echad. There's nothing but Hashem. There's nothing but Hashem. Not there's only one God, but there's only one existence. That's the meaning of Hashem Echad, according to Hasidus. And the Rebbe takes it to its nth degree. As we're going to see in the Sicha, where normally um, any person, even Lahavdala Nanju, certainly a Yid, even without Hasidus, believes that there's a God who, who, who takes care. But there is a partnership. We do our part, Hashem does his part. And people will often say, well, it's 50-50. You know, the big phrase, God helps those who help themselves. And we're not sure if you're focusing on what God helps or what you help. You're not sure if you think you're doing it or God is doing it. It's a partnership. No one knows. It's like a general concept of faith that doesn't require any real uh, letting go of any control. I believe that God helps those who help themselves. I mean, well, let me help myself. And I'll just rely on the God helping me as well, just as a, as an insurance policy, because why not? But not that I really trust in Hashem, and therefore I don't have any worry and anxiety and any doubt, and etc., and any need to take control in an unhealthy way, and therefore um, make a living at the expense of, of honesty and of, uh, of the dedicated times of Torah and prayer. No, I believe Hashem is doing it, uh, so to speak. But I'm helping, and my help is quite important. That may have been an acceptable Torah view without Hasidus. I'm not even sure. Hasidus clearly says that all we're doing is making a vessel, and the bracha is all from Hashem. But the Rebbe takes it to its nth degree in this Sicha, as well as in other places in the Rebbe's Sichos and Ma'amarim, that it's not 50-50 or 90-10 or 99-1. It's 100%. Hashem and the keli that we make, the vessel we make, is uh, beside the point. It, it contributes nothing. The example the Rebbe gives somewhere in a letter uh, that he writes that it's like someone who writes a check. 
all the money comes from what's in the account. You say, well, I wrote a check. If you don't write a check, you're not going to be able to pull out the money. Hashem willed it that without making your vessel, the bracha will not come. But your vessel, make no mistake, it's nothing more than writing a check. You're not contributing anything to the actual bracha. The funds in the bank, they're there. You're doing your part. And the question is, why even have to write the check? As the sicha, as we will discuss as we go. But the Rebbe is taking this bitachin, this emuna, all the way to the end. You might say this is the belief system that the world will all have when Mashiach comes. You know, you wonder, how will we have a world where there's no envy, no hate, no greed amongst the whole world? There's always going to be people that are going to worry that, you know, you have something that I don't have and what have you. And the answer is that's only possible when the whole world realizes that it has nothing to do with us. It's just that Abishter, it's just him, he runs the show and he's giving everybody, he's taking care of everybody. And it's absolutely not even 1% about me and about you, it's about him. As Rambam finishes uh, the Mishnah Torah, the whole world is filled with the knowledge of Hashem as water covers the sea. And therefore there's a time when there's plenty and there's... There's all goodies are like available like dust, and the Rebbe translates they'll be looked at like dust because it won't be anymore a competition and an envy and a greed because it won't be about you and me and who succeeded more. No one succeeded, it's all Hashem completely, it's all like a puppeteer, and uh, we're all part of that. And as a preparation for that day, when the whole world screams, Elokos screams, as the Rebbe says in that mimer, the world is Elokos. So Hasidus and the Rebbe especially is pushing the envelope of that betachin and that emunah. Uh, Rabbi Elkan Olavashalom would often talk about this in his Fabrengans, how the Rebbe introduced this generation to a fact that Torah runs reality. There's a problem, a medical problem, check the mezuzah, and it'll be healed. And the question is, you know, for many centuries and millennia, people check the mezuzah. They didn't check the mezuzah, not always it was healed. And the Rebbe introduced a concept and said, no, we're getting ready for a world where the kus is revealed, where the truth that everything is Hashem is revealed. And therefore, as we get close to that time, yes, check the mezuzah. And if you check it with the proper emunah and bitachin with mitzvah Hashem, they will be healed. I guess we're still in Gullus and sometimes there's a question mark to that. But generally, that was the Rebbe's approach. He told people, check the mezuzah and or think good, it will be good. Jews always thought positive. It's part of betachet. And it wasn't always good. The Rebbe introduced to us and introduces to the world, introduces to reality, reveals this truth that if a person truly thinks good because he has true trust in Hashem, it will in fact be good. Not whatever happens is good, but it will in fact be good because it is ultimately Hashem's world. And this is something that Rebbe is trying to bring us, push us over that cliff. We're all trying to have betachin, but we're still holding on to our control. Of course it's Hashem, but we're, we're holding on to our control. We're not quite ready to let go and really throw in the towel that it's all about Hashem and everything we do is just a vessel. It's writing a check. It doesn't contribute even one penny. We're, we're holding on because it's human nature. And the Rebbe is trying in general in his approach, and like I mentioned in Mitzvah Mezuzah and in Trach Gut and in many, many other things that the Rebbe introduced, just do what you got to do and completely throw it on Hashem. The Rebbe used often the language, um, he will even make the vessel. 
And uh, in this Sikha, I think this is a, a fundamental place where the Rebbe teaches this message. So this is not just another Sikha about Betachen, about Amuna or Betachen, even according to Hasidus, but very much pushing that envelope. It's absolutely all being done by Hashem. And the Rebbe is going to tell us that, I guess I'm saying the end in the beginning, that that is really what the lesson of the Mun is about. 40 years of our existence as a people, you might say in the infancy of our people, Hashem coddled us and gave us everything, just like in the infancy of a child. It didn't take any faith, so to speak. There were no other possibility. Of course it's Hashem. They, they got it. It just fell down from the sky. And then that's the first period of our existence as a people. The second period is from when we went into the land and now it's not no longer hamotzi lechem in hashemayim, bread coming from heaven, but it's hamotzi lechem in our bread coming from earth, through our own plowing in the field and working and, may, and doing it, which doesn't end there, but it continues throughout all of history, even to our very day, that we're making a living from the earth, so to speak, from our own work, from our businesses, from our degrees, from our investments, what have you. We're figuring it out. This is the second a period of the Jewish peoplehood. Says the Rebbe, the second period is really in truth exactly identical to the first. Hashem coddled us during that first generation, showed us it's all him. He doesn't need any help. Guess what? He never needs any help. And it's always all him, even as we're supposed to make a vessel. And with this, the Rebbe explains a few things. Well, this Rebbe explains how Mun is so connected to Shabbos. A, the laws of Shabbos for the first time are introduced by Mun. Don't collect it on Shabbos. Don't go out on Shabbos. B, that it says that the bracha of Shabbos is the bracha of Mun. When we make Kiddush on Shabbos and we say, Al-Kain Berach Hashem is Yom HaShabbos Vayikachayu Hashem blessed Shabbos and sanctified it. So we know what it means, sanctify it. Made it a special day. But what does it mean? He blessed it. And the explanation is, He blessed it with man. So again, Shabbos is connected to man, which is curious because he blessed Shabbos with man. There was no man on Shabbos. He blessed Friday with man. No, we say the bracha of man somehow comes from Shabbos. So Shabbos is connected to man. Yet again, also, we learn many of the halachas of Shabbos. The fact that we have Lecha Mishnah, double bread for every Suda, we learn from Shabbos. In fact, that from month. In fact, that term, Lecha Mishnah, double bread, is in today's parasha, today's Torah portion when it says that the Jews should not count on the month coming down on Shabbos, but on Friday they all collected Lecha Mishnah, double portions. We also learned the concept of covering the bread on Shabbos. The challah is supposed to be covered and also supposed to have something underneath it. Which is reminiscent of the manna of the man falling with the layer of dew on top and the bottom, like it was packaged, kimunach bekufsa, like packaged in a gift wrapped, and that is also derived from the man. And that's one of the reasons why we cover the challah. We're all familiar with the covering of the challah, so we shouldn't embarrass it in the presence of the wine. But the covering of the challah has its own meaning. First of all, we cover it on bottom also. Second of all, what if there's no wine? And I'm making kiddush on challah, which is okay. Uh, on Friday night. I still cover it because of the reminiscence to the man having a cover on top and on bottom. 
Also, we learned the concept of the three meals, Shalashudis, from the language that is discussed by Mun. And in the same verse, it says three times the word Hayom, where Moshe says, eat it, Hayom, eat it today. Because today is Shabbos, and today it will not be found in the field. And that word Hayom, apparently three times, is, is extra. It doesn't have to say it three times. It could just say it once. Each one teaches us one of the three meals. So Mun and Shabbos are so intertwined. Also, some people believe that it's brought down in one of the footnotes that the concept of eating kugel. Why do Jews eat kugel? Why did it become a minic? It's interesting how all these different foods began. There are various hints to it. Um, there probably are some practical things that kugel is nice and dry. You can, if it's a dry kugel, you can warm it up on Shabbos on the side of the fire, perhaps. You have to check with your rub before you act on that advice. But there is, a pra- there is a symbolic meaning that a kugel has a crust on top and a crust on bottom often, which is similar to the man, to reminiscent of the man, came like in a box. So Shabbos and man are filled with connections, even as there was no man on Shabbos. So that's the first point, question mark, so to speak. Another interesting point, question, so to speak, number two that we compare Shabbos to Mon, because it's like the Mon came effortlessly. Shabbos is also a day of, you know, effortless. All your work is done. You're not even, not only am I supposed to do work, you're supposed to mentally be in a place where as if everything is done, there's nothing on your mind. Even though there's a million things going on. And yet the minute Shabbos comes, no, it's all done. But the Rebbe says, it's not quite like the Mon, uh, Shabbos is not, uh, Mon is not quite like Shabbos. Shabbos, all your work is done. In Mon, there was effort. They have to go out and collect it. And, and it's explained that it depends what kind of person they were, depends of their character. If they were tzaddikim, the Mon came right to the door and already made in breads. If they were kumsi kumsa, they had to go out and collect it. And the Mon was like cakes, not quite like a bread. And if they were to show him, if they were the character flawed, they would have to go out and, 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 and scavenge for it out in the fields, and they would have to grind it, they would have to actually prepare it. So there's, but even on the best case scenario, even the righteous person who the monk came straight to the door, they have to go get it. It's not like there's nothing to do. So why is there an element of effort involved by the monk on these various levels and on every level? Or on any level, if it's supposed to be a Shabbistic thing. And then question three, I'm, I'm just cut, zeroing it down to three questions, even though there's numerous points made, that which is similar according to the, along the same lines. That the man is referred to as do. However, it's introduced as something that rained down. Rain and do in Judaism are opposites. Do is something, and we never have to ask for do. The language is tal loy metzar. Do is never held back. It's not a seasonal thing. It happens all year round. And apparently there wasn't a time when they had to issue a decree to fast and daven for do. It, it, God always gives it. Even though we mentioned it in our Shmon but apparently that's more of a praise for Hashem. Whereas rain, we're asking for rain. Rain is something that you have to earn. And there were times in the land of Israel when it was unavailable. 
in different seasons, and if Hashem wasn't happy with us, and they would make Tanesim, various fast days, this is the Jewish condition. Unlike in Egypt, in the Egyptian condition of, of a person who thinks that they're their own God, they worship the Nile, they look down for their irrigation, as was discussed in the Sikha last week. They look down for the irrigation, they don't need God, they're on their own. Whereas in Eretz Yisrael, the Holy Land, very much relies on rain, and therefore proverbially and physically, which is symbolically, we look up, which means we know it comes from Hashem. And it comes from Hashem through our effort, through our prayer, through our service and our dedication. And, and sometimes it's, we're tested because we have to do tshuva to earn it. And as is known in general about rain, that that's how rain works, even physically. Rain is a reciprocal type of thing. The language is in the, in the beginning of the Chobosh Bereshis, in the first Torah portion, the cloud elevates, the mist goes up, and then the cloud sponges it in and pours it back down and irrigates the land. The mist will rise up from the land, and then it will irrigate. Why did Hashem make it that way? This is not the way it has to be. Hashem created this system. Why did Hashem make that? Rain doesn't just come from heaven, but it comes from earth, and then it comes back, and heaven returns the favor, because that indicates what Geshem, what rain is. It's something that you earn through prayer, through service, unlike do, which is always given. Apparently, there's these two columns. There's things Hashem gives no matter what, and then there's a relationship where Hashem says, I want your effort, which is why rain is a big deal. We pray for it. Incidentally, the Hebrew word rain can be mutter, but often we use the word Geshem, which Geshem also means Gashmios, all the physicality, indicating that in all our blessings, all our physical blessings, we need our effort from below to instigate them. So coming back to the Sikha, so we have these two things, dew and rain. Which one is the man-like? It's like dew. And in fact, it even says it not only here, but in, in Baha'a'loscha, in the book of Numbers, uh, that it, it indicates clearly that it came down together with the dew, and it was like dew, meaning it's a gift. It's not something that requires your effort. It's like dew. Hashem was coddling them and giving them a free ride. And yet, the first introduction of the man, Hashem tells Moshe, tell the Yidin, Hinni mamtir lachem lachem I will cause to rain down upon you bread from heaven. Why does he throw in that word rain down, which is the opposite theme, polar opposite theme? We're mixing up themes here. So these become the three questions, which are going to be answered by the aforementioned, by the general theme of the Sikha. Again, to recap the three questions quickly. A. We found so many connections of Shabbos to Mon, starting with the fact that the first mention of Shabbos in Torah is in connection to the Mon, and many other connections. The brachas of the, of the Mon come from Shabbos and the double portion and the, the three meals and the, and the way the Mon is sandwiched and the way the chal is covered. There's so many connections of Shabbos to Mon. When on Shabbos there was no Mon. What's the connection? Also, number two, even if you're speaking of similarities of Shabbos to Mon, that both represent faith without effort, but in the Mon there was a need for effort. Even the most righteous person had to go collect it. It wasn't just all done. It's not done. You got to at least open your door and bring it in, let alone people who are in lower level. And question three is, why do we have this seeming contradictions? We're getting mixed signals when it comes to Mon. That... Uh, that it is like do, 
It's a free gift, and yet it's something that's rained down, indicating human effort. And, and the Rebbe explains all of these three points with the same explanation by introducing that what is a central theme of Shabbos to remind us that Abish is the creator and the provider. And therefore, one day a week, we do nothing. And we need to do nothing. We come to a point where it's as if all our work is done, not that we stop in the middle, but as if we haven't had a worry in the world. Imagine a person works very hard for a living and then they close their business the last minute before Shabbos and they're worried there's a million things outstanding, a million things that can go wrong over the, the Shabbos duration. And yet it's not just that practically they stop, they're supposed to have the mindset, as if it's perfect. There isn't a thing to do. That's extraordinary. And how is that? Because even though we're supposed to work six days a week, we're supposed to work with the actual, the absolute and trust and faith in Hashem. That really all we're doing is, is making a vessel, writing a check. And it's really all of Hashem's work. He's got the whole thing under control. And really, I do nothing. And that's what Shabbos teaches me, reminds me. And therefore, Shabbos is very same, very much the theme of Mon, which is that same idea. The Mon is supposed to teach us that even though just for the first 40 years of our people, Lord, did we have that free ride, where we obviously saw it's Hashem. For the rest of history, we have bread from the earth, which we have to earn. Uh-uh. All of that, the rest of history is exactly, precisely akin to the month. It's absolutely, totally Hashem's gift. No change. So Mon and Shabbos are the same exact theme. The Rebbe later in the Sicha goes into some detail, which I'm not going to do here, but you can take a look of how it lines up in many nuanced ways. Therefore, this combination, uh, this, this comparison between Shabbos and Monday in both, is very much leaving it up to Hashem, and yet there needs to be some form of your involvement, etc. So therefore, that answers our main and first question, what's the link of Shabbos to month? Because the theme of both is the absolute betachen that Hashem is running this show completely. And not just in that first generation, but for all of history. And therefore, that answers the other couple of questions. Why was there some effort when it came to the moment? If it's supposed to represent that there's no work whatsoever. To the extent that we refer to it as rain in addition to do, indicating there is some effort, says the Rebbe. If the Mun required no effort, if it was only like do and totally effortless, we would never be able to find a comparison between the Mun and the sustenance that we bring in from the earth for the rest of history. We would say, how could you put the two in the same color? This is squarely from heaven with no human intervention. And this is squarely from human intervention. And we're expected to believe that this is like this, that the bread from earth that we earn with the sweat of our brow is really totally Hashem's gift, absolutely like do. It would be impossible to make that stretch. And therefore, Hashem in Torah uh, included even in the Mon elements, albeit small elements, of human intervention, you have to go out and collect it, you have to do something depending on your character. It's due, but it's also rain, it has an element of, of you have to, they had to earn it in a sense, in a tiny way, so that now at least we can see some alignment with post going into Eretz post going into the realm of natural existence, so to speak, where there too there's gonna be 
obviously human intervention, we're going to have to make the vessel, as Torah itself commands us, and yet to recognize that there too, it's just like man from heaven. I want to just dig a, dip, a, a bit deeper. So we covered really the sikha, the questions, the answers, and the, the general theme. But what does it really mean? That everything we do is inconsequential, and we're just writing a check, and Hashem is just providing it just like the man from heaven. And if he is providing it, so why do we have to do anything? Why couldn't it just come straight from heaven? So normally, again, people like to rationalize it and say, well... Hashem helps those who help themselves. So if you're going to sit back and do nothing, of course you'll have nothing. Why? Of course. You know what I mean? God provides for trillions of creatures. Animals, plants, insects, fish. And, and they don't have a worry. They don't have to go to college and they don't have to worry about their investments and portfolios and work 24 hours a day worrying about it. The Abish that provides all of them. And suddenly for the human being, if I don't write the check he can't provide he needs my help why is it it's uniquely human that the human being is supposed to especially even a yid is told to make a keli the languages make a vessel god will bless you in all the work of your hands you're supposed to do it you're not supposed to sit back and and just even study torah all day and hashem will provide that is not kosher but why if in the end we're saying it's completely hashem you're just writing a check you're not even a 1% partner. For some people who want to rationalize, say, well, we are a partner. We're a 50-50 partner. That's, then, then you, where's your trust? If I'm a 50-50 partner, or some people will tell you, well, Hashem empowered me, gave me the wisdom, gave me the talent, gave me the opportunity. Yeah, but now I'm doing it. So I'm still going to have every reason to worry and obsess and and prioritize making a living over the time set aside for Torah study and mitzvahs and the money I have to give to tzedakah because I'm on my own. Thank you very much. It's an attitude of gratitude that Hashem gave me the talents, but now it's me. It's not even 50-50. That's pretty much 100% me. I'm on my own, but thanks to him. You know, the relationship we may have with our parents who gave us everything, including life itself, but now we don't rely on them, hopefully. Is that chas my relationship with Hashem? A thank you for empowering me and I'm on my own? Or it's 50-50? Or even 90-10 or 90? That Hashem gives 90% and we do 10 and he needs me to do my 10 because he needs my partnership? Why does he need my partnership? And we often use that language in Torah. Uh, the famous tell in Psalm 90 that we know I'm Hashem alikeinu umayisiyadeinu Hashem's sweetness should be found in the work of our hands and be blessed. So there is the concept that the work of our hands are a partnership to Hashem. But why? If it's all Him. And the answer, I think the Sikha is teaching us is that the partnership is misunderstood. It's not the pshat. It's not that Hashem needs my partnership in making a living. Because He can't provide me on my own or because of any other reason. But he wants my partnership, but my contribution of that partnership is one singular thing, total faith. That's the partnership. Whereas all the other creatures, they're not expected to be on that level, but, but a human being, and especially a yid, 
who's expected to have the Amuna Hashem Echad, Enid Muvadi, it's really absolutely a Likos. So therefore, yes, he wants my input. You know what that input is? Not the input is, look, I help out. I got a good education. I'm so smart and I help Hashem provide for me. That's an egotistical partnership. That's not treif. It's not kosher. But rather, the partnership is Hashem gives me everything and I give emunah. I truly own the betachin. I truly internalize that really Hashem is giving me everything. And the only way for me to internalize that by choice is if I have a vessel to make a living so that I can delude myself in thinking that I don't need Hashem or I don't need Hashem fully and I, I'm, I'm helping out in the cause too. And then I choose the emes. So therefore I'm making a vessel by getting an education or making investments or running a business or getting a job or whatever. Not because that is a partnership to help Hashem provide for me. But that is a partnership actually to distract me from thinking that Hashem is doing it. So now I have a choice to make the betachen that Hashem is giving it. Whereas in the desert, when the Jews had manna falling from heaven, there was no way to make that mistake. And therefore, there wasn't a choice. There was no partnership. They didn't contribute trust in Hashem. How else should they believe? They saw it's obvious it's coming from Hashem. When we earn a little, and we do things to make it work, and we're supposed to do our best, and we're supposed to honestly figure things out, in the rational way. So we could now delude ourselves to think we're really partners and maybe even, God forbid, the more important partner. And yet at the same time to maintain the knowledge of the truth that it's absolutely all Hashem. Aha! That's the belief. And what the Rebbe wants us to really take it to that full degree. It's not 50-50 or 90-10, it's 100% Hashem. And we make the vessel by putting in the work and recognizing within that work that it's all Hashem. So... There's, there's, the, uh, there's, there's the story, the joke, that this guy was going to an important business meeting. And he was late for the meeting. He couldn't find a parking spot. It was downtown Brooklyn, very busy. And he was not a person of faith, never really bothered to dive in, to talk to Hashem. But he's circling the block over and over, and he's going to miss his meeting, and it's critical. So finally, he turns to God. He says, hey, dear God, if you're out there, find me a spot, and I'm going to believe in you. I'll start davening. I'll, I'll, I'll go kosher. I'll go kosher. You buy me a spot, I'm kosher. Because that'll prove that you really care about me and that you really exist and take care of me. Because of the meeting. And he's circling and he's verbalizing this deal with Hashem. And the minute he finishes verbalizing it, after circling for 45 minutes, right in front of the building when the meeting, the car pulls out and he has a spot. And as the car pulls out, he turns to heaven and says, oh, never mind, God, I managed on my own. This is human nature. The minute things work out, we rationalize why they worked out. We have it under control. And that is exactly the test of lecha min ha'oretz, bread from the earth, as opposed to lecha min ha'shamayim, bread from heaven, where there's no test. It's obvious. And therefore, there is no partnership. Our partnership is that we are living in a place where we can easily delude ourselves and think that we're on our own, or at least we're playing an important role. We're playing zero role. 
I taught this class this morning to a group of Yidden in our Chabad house, our Zoom Shir, a very beautiful group of intelligent people and successful people, some of them. And the discussion ensued and people said, wait a minute, you're not supposed to just do the work. You're supposed to calculate correctly. You're supposed to figure things out. And I said, of course, that's what it means to make a vessel. And yet to understand that all of that is Hashem working through you completely. It's not you at all. So I told them the story of Rabbi Yaman Klatsker, the chassid of the Mittler Rebbe, who was a, a big chassid and a successful lumber merchant. And when, he, when they looked at his books, he had all the numbers exactly precise, but when it came to the bottom line, the sachakol is called the total, the bottom line, he didn't write a number. He wrote, that is nothing but Hashem. And he wasn't doing this to be cutesy, and he wasn't doing it for anybody else. It wasn't something that was uh, public information. This was what he did for his own edification, for his own books. And they, they asked him, so to speak, like, what's going on? Decide if it's Hashem. So why do you have books to begin with? And if you have books, that means the numbers are the thing that add up, not Hashem. And the message that he was giving, so to speak, is, no, 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 both are true. The numbers have to add up. According to Torah, you have to know exactly who owes you money and who you owe money to. So you know how much you earn, you know how much to give in total, total honesty and integrity in your business. This is an important Jewish value. The first question they ask a person after they leave this world before they ask anything else, is were you honest in business? It's a big deal. He was to the penny. All his books added up perfect. And how much stuck he has to give. It wasn't hanky-panky. It wasn't loose. It wasn't, well, it's all Hashem. It doesn't, no, there's no playing around. However, when it came to the bottom line, the Sachakol, he, he's a real chassid. He can't write that the Sachakol, what's the bottom line? His business is the bottom line. The bottom line is in it, There's nothing besides Hashem. And to him, it wasn't a contradiction. It was a natural thing. With all the details that he puts in, all the mind that we put in, and all the talent that we're supposed to bring to our jobs, all God-given talent, but we're supposed to put our real honest effort we know it's all because Hashem said so and really Hashem is doing it. And therefore, yes, we'll put an honest effort and, and put our minds to it, but never obsess and never worry and never be over anxious by it and, and never second guess ourselves if the things don't work out the way we expected and know that it's completely Hashem's plan. With this, the Rebbe explains in the Sicha, another fascinating thing, the Rebbe calls it, I think, Inyam Nifla, extraordinary, seemingly problematic thing. And now it's illuminated. And that is in our benching, when we bench, which is a very important prayer. So the first three blessings were instituted by Moshe Rabbeinu Moses and Joshua and King David. The fourth blessing was instituted later uh, after the destruction of the temple. But the first three, they're, they're, they go back. It's like the earliest prayers. You know, most of our prayers come from the men of the Great Assembly, which is after the Common Era, the times of the Mishnah. And these are prayers that are instituted by Meshach Rabbeinu, Yeshua, and David HaMelech. And, and, and those are the first three blessings. And how does it work? Because Hazan, Berchaz Hazan, the blessing of sustenance, thanking God for our sustenance, was instituted by Meshach Rabbeinu by Moses when they got the month. The second blessing, Joshua, when they came to the land and they had a blessed land, and that's why the second blessing is Al Aretz Amazon, the blessing of the land and its nourishment. 
the third blessing, Bonei Yerushalayim, building Jerusalem with King David. So the Rebbe says, I don't understand, why would we today thank God in our main primary blessing, which is to thank Hashem for our nourishment, and that's in the first blessing. Why would we thank Him in the language of Moses when he talk about the manna from heaven? Nowhere in that first blessing does it speak about the fact that you provide sustenance from the earth. That's only in the second blessing. In the second blessing, really, we're not thanking so much for the actual sustenance. The language is that in the first blessing, we, we talk about the fact that you give food to all those who need. So the nominally, the thanks for Hashem, for our sustenance, we borrow from Moshe Rabbeinu, from Moses, thanking Hashem for heavenly bread. The second blessing, we talk about the fact that we thank him for, for, for the vehicle through which that blessing comes. It doesn't make sense. We're not getting money from heaven. We should skip that blessing and we should go straight to the second one. And there we should emphasize the sustenance as coming from the earth, because it is. Says the Rebbe, that's exactly the point. It's extraordinary. And this is an easy way to remember the theme of this sikha. Every single time you bench, you say the grace after meals. At the first blessing, which is the main part of benching, one might say, where we thank Hashem that we, that we have a meal to eat. We thank him in the same language as the, when the Jews did before they, when the bread was completely miraculous, because it's reminding us that that's how our bread is. It's completely a gift from heaven. Only by the second blessing did we point out, and by the way, thank you for also giving it to us through the vehicle of earth, which in our modern context means through our jobs and etc. And why is that something to be thankful for? I think the concept is because now we have choice to have faith in Hashem. We don't have to. We can choose that because it is convoluted in a vehicle which can distract us. And we're not going to be fooled by that vehicle. And that's why we're thanking Hashem for the blessing coming through that vehicle. But the truth is, it's like mana from heaven, which explains the first blessing. It's an extraordinary sikha, empowering and, and charging us to live up to a very high level of emunah and bitachet, where everything is done by Hashem. When I finished the sikha in my class this morning with my yidin, so uh, there was a further discussion that ensued. We're talking about a group of accomplished people, many of whom are now retired, but you talk about doctors and surgeons and engineers. And in a sense, the question that came up is, so where does that leave us? I'm retired from a 50 year career of, of, of brain surgery or eye surgery or what have you, where I've, I feel good about what I did for the world. I'm well-trained, I made a difference, I helped people, I was successful. And now you want me to learn a sikha that negates my whole environment. I wrote a check, I did nothing. So I explained to the people that if you think about it, this, this emuna and bitachan that the sikha is asking of us actually makes us closer to Hashem, not further away. It makes us, in a sense, more significant, not less so. How? Because since now we understand that really everything in the world is Hashem. Even the vehicle, Hashem is just working through that vehicle. That vehicle includes our own person. And therefore, Everything about that vehicle, including our own minds and intuition and intelligence that we put in, although it's completely Hashem, we're like a puppet. The puppeteer is running, but the puppet 
has a feeling of independence and is really not true at all. However, Hashem works through you, not just through your hands, through your mind, through your heart. You're almost like an angel. You're an extension of Holocaust. So if you're able to embrace this concept of, of faith and put aside the ego and accept that really it has nothing to do with me, it's only Hashem, you now will gain a tremendous closeness. Where Hashem, if it's only Hashem, and Hashem, in fact, in the end, radiated his success through me. And not just like a lightning beam, but through my mind and my education and my hands. So now I'm literally an extension of Elokus. This is like sometimes it says in Hasidus that there's a, there's a, there's a concept of bittel, of nullification. You put yourself aside, and then you can come to a place of yichud where you feel one with Hashem. But that's only possible after the first introduction. This is a, a level like of a tzaddik. But nevertheless, on a philosophical level of emuna and faith, I think that the, this would be appropriate uh, a, a way of thinking and meditation in seeing ourselves as an extension of Berchas Hashem. And therefore, we're not less important, we're more important. But not importance per se. Important because we're connected to Elokos. We're really an extension of Elokos. The Rebbe explains this elsewhere in Hasidus, this last concept which I'm introducing. It's like a sidebar to the Sicha, but I think it adds sweetness that there is the Chazal tell us the same phraseology in two ways with a slight variable. The language is I was created to serve my maker. And then there's another place in the Gemara where it says, I was not created but to serve my maid. I believe it's in Babli and Yerushalmi, the Babylonian, and Jerusalem, Talmud, if I'm not mistaken. But we have these two, these two variables of the same, the two variations of the same general thing. Again, one is, I'm created to serve my maker. And a higher one is, I'm not created except to serve my maker. So the question is, which is higher? So normally we say, well, the second one is higher. First one says, I'm created to serve my maker. It's an egotistical approach. I'm created, I'm important, I play an important role, but I'm not going to forget that I have a purpose. I'm here for a reason. The second one is, I'm not even created. I have no, I have no validity at all, per se, only to serve Hashem. It's a much higher level. The Rebbe explains that really the reverse can be said as well. Nominally, that's true. Person starts the service, from the place of ego. I'm created, but at least I know that I have a purpose to serve my maker. And then comes hopefully through Avaida, through meditation, Torah study of Hasidus and Chacha and prayer. And hopefully we get a glimpse and a taste of the level of Bittal where a person realizes, mm -mm, I don't begin to be, at least philosophically. I don't know if we're emotionally able to identify with this, but at least philosophically to recognize the truth in our Chabad that I'm not created, but to serve my maker. I have no value otherwise, per se. Everything is Elokos. Eneb Mubadid is nothing but Hashem. And I don't even begin to be. Unless Hashem needs someone to serve him, so I'm here. Otherwise, I... So it's a, it's a negation of existence. Negation of personal value. Completely and utterly. And then, once a person embraces that, they're able to come to a higher level. That yes, I was in fact created with a purpose to serve Hashem. Meaning, there's an expression in English I once heard, you have to lose yourself before you can find yourself. Chassidus wants us to understand that the, 
to find personal value, the first step is to lose any personal value. There's nothing but Hashem. You're not created. You don't even begin to be. If you think you have your own value, it's just a lie. Once you embrace that truth, now open your eyes and say, but I'm here. Hashem created me. I'm not just a, a copy of someone else. I'm the only one. There's no two people alike who look alike, who think alike. And I'll have a unique contribution that I can make and I have certain gifts. Why did Hashem do that? In vain? I'm not just another one of 7 billion or 20 million hidden Cain Yerbu. I'm only one in unique me with all of the details. Do I just gloss over that and just become a number? And an inconsequential number at that comes along the Rebbe and Hasidus and explains that once a person internalizes the concept that really it's all of the course, they now can have, so to speak, the luxury of the next level. Okay, but now open your eyes. Close your eyes and say, there's nothing but Hashem. And now open your eyes and say, but I'm here and I have gifts. Wow, all of those gifts were handmade by Hashem, tailor-made for His purpose. So now you feel a sense of importance, but not a personal importance, but have inclusion into that truth, which is extraordinary. It's almost the moving up to a level, not only of nullification, of bitl, but yichud, where you feel one infused with Hashem. And then uh, the closeness becomes, uh, which is the Torah approach in general. You know, seven billion people are looking for happiness and looking for validation. And we're looking for it from the outside. For other people, for the therapist, for the world to say how wonderful we are because people feel in, in, insignificant compared to the, the billions of people in the world, compared to the size of the universe. I don't matter. And therefore we're, we're spending our lives looking for outside validation, which in Emma's is a lie. And the more you get, the more you want, and the more you need. Comes along Hasidus and says, the only path to happiness is bittle. Translation, there's no need for outside validation. Stop it. The only thing that's valid is David. And once I embrace that, and then I'm able to have internal validation, not from the outside. If the only thing that there is is David, but I'm here. Aha. Hashem must need me. Hashem must have a purpose for me that I can uniquely accomplish. And therefore, I'm part of that purpose. You completely don't need the external validation, but the validation is a real one. Sometimes we call it the whole world's created for me in, in, in the Hasidic way of looking at it. And then therefore, uh, rather than being insignificant, you and everything about you and every contribution that you make is is like angelic importance. You're literally an extension of Hashem's hand, a particular laser beam from the light of Hashem in your color and shape and flavor, which no one else replaces. It's a form of divinity. But again, that's only experienced after the introduction of absolute bittle. And again, these are very high levels. So let's be uh, real about it, but at least philosophically, Hasidus and the Rebbe wants us to understand it and hopefully to think about it and meditate on it at the time of davening, perhaps at the time of benching, to the point that we own it in some way, our Chabad affects the way we, we feel, or at least the way we know the truth to, to be.